Tolman Classroom, a podcast brought to you by Bright Side Up. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah Wyatt. And I'm Rachel Mandel. And you're back, Hannah. I'm back from leave. Yes. So Hannah left us for a little while to go have a baby, but now you're back. So do you want to tell everybody? In between podcast seasons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You timed it well. You did time it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Planned (laughs) that out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... My husband and I had a baby in May. His name is Marlo. He is very cute. So um, cute. He's four months. He does not sleep. Um, <laughs> that's what they do. That's what they do. Yep. So I'm adjusting to that. Um, yeah, we're doing good. And I'm, I am very happy to be back at work also. Yeah. He's another part of the brain. Right. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a transition. I'm sure like we'll talk about today. It's definitely a transition. Right. Like I'm like so pumped right now and I'm sure like at the end of this week, I'm going to have a whole set of different feelings about it, but yes. Yeah. We'll have to have Kim come back on to talk to you about (laughs) your anxieties of the first time once you, once it really hits, but yeah, exactly. But I'm glad you're back. It's nice. And also you'll get to spend some more time with Marlo. So you're only coming back part-time for a little while, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Slow transition back in. Yeah. I I don't know. We haven't talked to our guest yet today about dealing with first times and transitions, but I feel like taking it slow is probably a good way to do it. I would think. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I think it will be uh-huh. good. Oh, he's so sweet. We have something for him too here at the office we'll we'll give it to you and then maybe I might have an idea of what it is do you already know the onesie well I did see a little photo on yeah 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 the bright side of Instagram um for all of you that don't follow that there's lots of good information on our Instagram Mm -hmm. um yeah but I won't ruin the surprise you have for me baby photos yeah I mean they they all know if you follow Instagram you know that there's little baby onesies we have available now so go to the website and you can find out if you have your own baby and you want them in some bright side up gear which I don't know why you wouldn't but <laughs> it's so cute because yeah we have a we have a new incoming class of babies right now we do quite, lots of bright side babies quite a bit of them at bright side up yeah we always talk about our bright side pups but I feel like this is the wave of babies yeah I missed it I was in a I, I don't think there was many other babies when I was having Lena, but they're, they're always coming. Always new. No, babies. And you were in like the thick of the pandemic. So it was mm-hmm. just yeah, yeah. <laughs> different time. <laughs> yes. Things are changing. That's exciting. But, yeah. As Rachel alluded to, we are talking with Kim Polstein today about first times and how to help children navigate the feeling of anxiety when doing something new. I think she'll be able to tell us a lot about what we're all going through. We'll we'll save that because I think we all have our own transitions. But before we get into talking to Kim, we definitely want to make sure that we take a second to remind everybody about our conference. So it's almost that time of year again. It's the Making a Difference Conference. We're back in person. Last year, we did have a sort of sort of in person, but a altered conference. But this year, we are back. We're doing it. So it's Monday, October 10th at the Hilton Garden Inn in Troy. We have multiple tracks. So, you know, there's really something for everybody. You can kind of uh, mix and match. You can call and talk to us about that. But there are infinite toddler options, preschool, program leadership, school age, and Spanish. You get eight hours of training credit for coming and spending the day with us. Um, And you, there's lots of different options for financial aid and you can find all that information on our website, or you could just call and talk to anyone here and we'll be able to walk you through it. So make sure you do that before Friday, September 30th. So you still have a little bit of time when this episode comes out, you got about a week. Um, And if you listen to it after that call and talk to us and we'll see what we can do, but it's going to be great. We have so many good, um, good trainings for everybody so I think that you're not going to want to miss it we've been spending the last well we've been training but really the last couple years we've been developing lots of new training so come and come and check it out all right should we get to our interview with Kim let's do it We're here today with Kim Polstein. She's a licensed social worker in the and the director of mental health services. She oversees the team of early childhood and infant toddler mental health consultants here at Bright Side Up. 
And in addition, she's also currently serving as an infant, toddler, and early childhood mental health consultant in the Capital Region. Kim is a New York State credential trainer, an author of the ACE Institute, along with staff from ECLC, the LaSalle School, and the Region 4 Coordinator for Pyramid Model. She's a passionate advocate for children's social and emotional needs and the development of trauma-informed, equitable mental health practices. And you all know her already. She's back. We got Kim. Yay! We're back. <laughs> Welcome, Kim. Thank yeah, you. Kim was one of our first guests, I think, right? Season one. Season one. Self-care. Yeah, we talked a lot about chopping up vegetables and, and that self-care. Um, remember we talked about, um, Brussels sprouts and carrots, I think, chopping as a self-care practice. (laughs) I do remember the Brussels sprouts. Unsure why. I remember that being a big part of the interview. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That really. We were new. We didn't know. A big deal. (laughs) I mean, we'll see if we can loop it back around to that today. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I can loop anything back to Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, sure, even if they are haven't listened, they should, but even if they haven't, I'm sure they know you, Kim, if they're listening to a Bright Side Up uh, podcast, you probably have met Kim or someone on her team. Probably. Probably. But we're here today. What are we talking about? We are talking about first times, right? Doing new yeah. things and kind of how to cope with the anxiety that comes around with that. Yep. That's one of my least favorite things to do and one of my favorite things to talk about. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, but I am almost never excited to be the the person in the first time situation. Yeah. Yes, it's a lot. Yeah, it was Kim wrote an article for our magazine that's coming out all about, you know, first time jitters and how to work through it with kids. And it was bringing up, you know, all the like first time feelings for me just reading it. <laughs> mm. So um, we wanted to start, Kim, by asking you about what was the last first new thing you did? Last, wait. Or a first new thing you did. (laughs) I guess the most recent first new thing that I did was moved in with my fiance. So I'm like, I had been living by myself for like seven years, which is the most amazing thing in the entire world. Um, And then I was like, do you guys watch Friends? And she's like, I have to live with the boy. That's sort of how I was feeling for a minute. And it's, you know, it's worked out very well. We had a nice little transition plan. Um, But like by that point, I was a practiced first timer. And so it was kind of okay. And it was pretty easy. And I'm a planner. So we had a roommate agreement like drawn up because that's, I was like, who's doing the dishes? Um, (laughs) But I think the first time that I can remember thinking it's funny now, but thinking it really was just the worst then was buying a house in the middle of a pandemic, which was the craziest thing I've ever done. And then that wasn't even the hardest part. The hardest part was I had gone to buy lawn equipment. So I got a leaf blower and I got a weed whacker Mm. and I could not turn them on. Like I could not figure out. And my friend Tom was there and he was like, I'll show you. And I was like, great. And I'm the type of person who like quickly slides into shame when they're not good at something immediately. So I was like trying to turn this thing on behind closed door. I was like hiding in the garage trying to turn this on because I could not. It's hard to like hold something that's not weighted evenly and then pull the little cord thing. I don't know the words. I don't know the names of any of those parts. (laughs) I couldn't remember how many times you have to like push the little thing, the little pump thing to get the oil or whatever. It was a mess. And I was in tears thinking like, I have a master's degree. I can talk to you about brain development. I know about like neurogenesis. Like we can have easy dinner conversation about brains and I can't turn this stupid (laughs) weed whacker on and it like was the thing that broke me and he was like you're a smart woman you just bought a house like you can do that and I was like I can't do this but I think that that experience alone made it so 
fun to to reframe now when I'm in an actually hard new experience. And I'm like, <laughs> if you could turn on a leaf blower and if you can turn on that weed whacker, like you could do anything. <laughs> there you go. That's a different set of skills. That's hard. It's a completely yeah. different set of skills. And I can't, I'm always like, you have to open the, I think it's called a choke. You have to like open the choke for a little while, but then once it's running, you got to close it again. And oh, I absolutely you already right. turned the leaf blower on that day. You don't need to do the whole process again. Just like have, you should have seen the way I was taking notes during this intro to turning on my weed whacker. It was like a college <laughs> dissertation. <laughs> so they, did, they didn't teach you about that in your master's program? They did not. I know how to build really strong relationships with people and help them through the hardest moments of their lives. But man, was I not okay the day the weed whacker came home. <laughs> okay. Now, do you love weed whacking? I do. I, I really do. <laughs> and every time I can turn it on just in like the first round, like I don't have to like walk away from it and give, give the weed whacker some time to think about whether or not it's going to turn on. I I've like, I'm powerful. And I like text people about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Hey Tom, guess what? I turned the weed whacker on today. And yeah, he's like, yeah. this is not a hard skill. <laughs> it was hard for me. It's hard. And now it's not. So we got there and I do. Nice. Love, I love to weed whack. I do too, but I will say that we have an electric one, so I just have to push a button. (laughs) I wanted the electric one, but he's like, uh, I don't know. He had a whole reason as to why I shouldn't get the electric one. (laughs) Yeah, so we did it. And now bringing it back to the self-care and the Brussels sprouts, that's part of like that rhythmic, just kind of like mindless body work. That's that's good. So on days when I'm feeling real stressed, I'll go take it out on the weeds. Yeah, yeah, me too. I just did our lawn and it's like my favorite thing. To yeah, do. I love to mow. <laughs> Rachel, how about you? Um, no, I don't know any oh, of these things. Not specific to mowing, but what? Oh, okay. I was like, no, I definitely have never used a weed whacker. Don't, don't call on me. What's your feeling about weed whackers? Electric or gas? Um, well, I can teach you now. So if you get a weed whacker for your city apartment, I can teach you. No, thanks. I was, um, we more, have one, but I've just never used it. So <laughs> I was more asking what was the, um, a new thing that you did recently. Mm, okay. I can answer that. Actually this past week, I started pottery classes for the first time. So I've always wanted to do it. So I'm taking a wheel class they call cool. it in the pottery world. So I signed up with a friend. I had thought about it for a long time and I just decided this is going to be the year that I do it. So yeah, I went and did wheel pottery. So basically what that is, I'm sure like if you ever saw the movie Ghost, like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, the wheel spinning really, really fast and you put the clay on it and then magically you make a bowl or something out of that. It's It sounds easy and the instructor made it look easy when she showed us. But then once I actually did it with my own hands, it was not easy at all, at all. And I, I also like once. It's hard. It was too hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I forgot immediately after she told me how to do it. You know, like she showed us and mm-hmm. sort of just like put this clay on a wheel and then touched it and it just turned into a bowl somehow. I have no idea. She made it look. And she did say to her credit, like, I'm making this look easy because I've been doing this for so long. Mm-hmm. But then immediately when I sat down on my own wheel, I forgot everything that she said. And it's scary because there's other people in the class and, you know, you don't want to be like the worst one doing pottery, <laughs> but also I probably was. So that was okay. And I did it. I got through it. I mean, I have to go back this week. For the next like, six weeks you have so to you have to go back yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i guess do other things which is shocking to me because i just kind of thought that i was going to be touching clay on a wheel mm-hmm. you know for six weeks in a row but no it's not over with that one piece of clay that i already made so i i shaped it and now i have to go back and i don't know put it in the plate glaze it up glaze it, yeah you know, I don't even think it's, it's shiny. Yeah, there's like other steps that happen before. Oh, wow. I don't know. I'll report back, but I'm doing lots of first times because each week I, I have no idea what I'm walking into. No clue. That's so I learned fun. how to do glass blowing. Uh, my fiance, Andrew, took me for a Christmas present to learn how to blow glass. Mm. And they make it look so easy. And I thought it would Maybe. be easy like the like I thought clay would be easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like trying to take hot glass and keep it on the little stick while you roll it into a marble I was like I don't have the forearm strength for this this is right this is a skill (laughs) yeah I think so often when I try something new I'm I don't know why you think that I would realize it by now but I'm shocked because everything has its own skill but then it's also 
most things are like a mental and a physical thing together. And you have to sort of move your body in the right way. And it's hard. And even doing things. So I thought of that one because I just did it this week for the first time. But then the other transition I was thinking about was just, you know, like both of my kids went back to Mm full-time care for the first time since forever, I guess. I mean, the (laughs) pandemic, I guess. We haven't really done that. So that's a whole other transition, which I'm sure we'll talk about because I think that's a pretty common one. Maybe not everybody's going to take a wheel pottery class, but most people listening are going to be helping a child through those transitions. But they're hard in their own ways, I think, right? Just I think sometimes those are harder because there's not a new skill. Like you said, not everybody is going to get, you know, molten glass on the end of a tube and not everybody's going to put pottery clay on a spinning wheel. (laughs) Um, And those are things that it's like, well, of course, I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've ever touched a lump of wet clay. But like I've done first days of school before. I was there, you know, I remember my mom dropped me off at college and I'm sure I'm going to be an absolute mess when I have to drop my kid off somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I get nervous when I bring the cat to the vet. Like there are things <laughs> yeah, lots that of I think we judge ourselves in those moments. I think because there's not a physical skill to it, but just the, the emotional weight. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I should be okay with it. I should be good at this because it seems easy. Mm-hmm. But those yeah. are hard leaving your kids anywhere yeah speaking of and i mean what what would what are your what you are know, your first i've been doing lots of firsts the last four i know months, i was but. trying to think of one that didn't involve um me being a mom which is a new first <laughs> um but yeah that would be that would be the biggest one right now mm-hmm. and i guess like most timely is that i'm back to work so right. i've never been back to work with a baby at home you know that i have to try to juggle those two things and he's on starting in two days, he's like going to go to his first day of daycare. It's with his grandma. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, a lot of anxiety about like how that's going to go. We're going to pack everything. And, you know, it's more of just like, I just want him to be really good. You know, like I (laughs) am not so worried about Marlo. I'm just, you know, the whole experience of going to a different house for a whole day and Mm -hmm. having someone else take care of him is, it's a big step, but yeah, totally must be done. Must be done. Yep. Yeah. When firsts are unavoidable, all firsts are unavoidable, right? Yeah. You got to do something. You unless never you do, anything, do anything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's no good. Then it's no fun. So we want to kind of transition into how we help the kids, you know, in our lives or the kids that our providers are caring for deal with the anxiety that kind of comes along with these new first times. So what would you say is the first step there in helping our kids? So the first step is actually like a secret first step, because like, I think with most things of us helping young children learn something, we have to do it. Like we have to be okay with, we have to be sort of practiced in. And it's okay to say like, I've never done this before to a child um, because maybe you're experiencing a first together. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's okay. But like I say, when we talk about um, the, the tool of flip it, you have to flip, quote unquote, flip yourself before you can flip them. And that's just really helping them identify their feelings and stay within some limits. But if you are dysregulated, it's going to be really hard to confidently regulate someone else, right? So, you know, Hannah, you're a brand new mom. When you are calm and you are holding Marlo and you're like, and rocking, he probably soothes so much faster than on the days you are feeling really stretched and tired and like you've got nothing left to give. And then he starts to notice that if you're tense, he's tense. That That's mm-hmm. co-regulation, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're calm, their nervous system is scanning for threat, right? So if they don't see it within us, then they're going to feel a little bit more secure in that anyway. Um, but there's no way to prep for that like a hundred percent foolproof, right? So you'll probably see some anxiety in your own self. Um, but I think talking about it and normalizing it is going to be sort of key. And in that, um, the, the article that I'm hoping is going to, it's going to be really helpful to go along with this. The, the first, 
first you kind of do it with yourself and then you can help children do it. But with yourself, or if you're already there and you're helping a young child, acknowledge that it's new. Like really just being able to say, I've never done this before. So why should I be good at turning on a weed whacker? I've literally never even held one before. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how heavy the back of it was going to feel compared to the front of it. It's really uneven. Mm -hmm. Um, And that surprised me. I was surprised at how much weight there was. Um, And then immediately went into like, oh God, I can't do this. Like, oh my God, I might not be strong enough to turn on a weed whacker and then how embarrassing will that be so like immediately I started to slide into that that shame space and that happens so if you notice that happening then pull yourself back out by saying this is the first time you've ever touched this machine Mm -hmm. that's okay you shouldn't know what to do right Mm -hmm. um I think we often are worried to give big feelings like shame and feeling embarrassed or anxiety or dread even. How many times have you been in a first situation and you're like that stomach falling into your gut, like feeling of dread? Like, oh God, I don't know what's gonna happen. Your hands might start shaking. Like you might notice all of these physiological things. And then we are worried that if we name it, then we're gonna get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. But it's the science is actually the opposite. If uh, Dan Siegel is a, a researcher and um, I believe a child psychologist says, if you can name it, you can tame it. Mm-hmm. So calling attention to those things and saying like, oh, whoa, I'm feeling a little embarrassed about this or, oh, whoa, I'm feeling really anxious. I can feel the dread helps you to then do something about it. So then you can say, oh, I really should take a deep breath right now. Like, okay, let's center ourselves. Let's ground a little bit. But trying to avoid thinking about the feeling usually makes it a little bit worse. So we can kind of call attention to our internal state and notice our heart rate and we might be sweating or our stomach might feel a little bit off. You might have some um, like GI issues if you're feeling really, really anxious Some people just physically feel sick Mm -hmm. and that's okay that's what our bodies do to let us know hey this could potentially be dangerous and it might be physically or it might be emotionally and that's really what the vulnerability piece is is that that feeling of emotional risk I'm going to put myself out there and I don't really know what's going to happen because I'm entrusting my emotional state to other people Mm -hmm. um so acknowledging first this is new for me or for you. Like I could say to a, a, a child who's on their way to their first day of kindergarten, this is new. You're going to a new school. It's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to be um, unsure. It's okay to feel scared. You can feel scared. I was scared when I went to my really first like day of school. Like you can also um, but share your experience to say, I've been in a similar situation and I, I felt that way too. Um, and then normalize the feeling around it. It's okay to be normal. It's okay to be normal. It is okay to be normal. It's also okay to be anxious and it's okay to be scared and it's okay to have your hands shaking. Sometimes I can't even control that. Like I'll have a hard conversation with a staff person and my hands will be trembling. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, I'm feeling really anxious right now. This is just something I don't want to talk to you about. And it's okay. We can do hard things, right? Mm -hmm. So Giving yourself the, I call it the grace and space. At the beginning of the pandemic, my friend Ashley would say like, grace and space, baby, this is all new. So anytime I'm in one of those those brand new moments, that's my little mantra, right? Grace and space. I give myself the, the space to be awkward and afraid. And I'm going to treat myself with the grace of like kindness and I'm going to mess this up and it's going to be awkward and weird. Cool. I get to be the learner. And how great is that? Mm-hmm. It's good for you. Like Rachel, mm-hmm. when you said I'm doing a lot of new things, I'm like, wow, how, how good for your neural pathways, because that's the type of nerd I am, but yeah. it's good for your brain to practice new things right. and it might never feel great. Yeah. It reminds me of, I heard somebody say recently, like it's so unfair that you have to be bad at things when you first try them or that you're not immediately good at things the very first time you try it. I can't remember who was saying it or why, but 
it just really made me laugh sort of because I feel like I have all of these ideas of hobbies and then I have, you know, this thought that I'm going to be able to like, for instance, another, I'm really in a phase of hobbies right now. So you're going to hear that. I think through this, uh, through this you episode. and Andrew both, there's hobbies all over my house now. I'm right? Really? I'm going for it. So I re- I thought that I want to make dollhouses. Thought that'd be cool. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make a dollhouse. I'm going to make a Victorian and I'm going to put in all these, you know, I have like so many ideas. I thought about wallpaper and flooring. And then I thought, you don't know how to make a dollhouse and you've never done this. So I got a little kit that makes a camper. So I'm going to start there. But it is annoying that you're not just immediately good at things, you know? And I think that that's, I know that's true for children. Like they they are, I think, probably better at it. I guess you can tell me, like, just from my understanding of seeing children, but I'm not sure exactly like what, you know, the research would say, but it seems like they're better at trying and doing things that they um, haven't done before, just because the world is something they haven't done before. Yeah. But I think that they can get frustrated when something doesn't work immediately. Do you think that that's a part of the anxiety for the first time? And I think that's really the moment where the adult can sort of quote unquote, make it or break it, which sounds a little, I don't mean to put pressure on any of the providers or the parents (laughs) to be like, if I don't get it right the first time, that's, Mm -hmm. that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is in that moment where the child does something for the first time and they're not immediately good at it. Do we celebrate that and say, Hey, we get to learn. This is new and it's hard, but you can do hard things. Yeah. Or do we, do we kind of shy away from being new? I know for me, I miss out on a lot of fun things with my friends because I don't like to look stupid in public. And so they play sports all the time and I'm not very good at it. And I won't do something in public that I'm not very good at, but then how do I get better? Mm -hmm. And I don't. And then I end up missing out on a lot of things. So I know, like I've already talked about it with Andrew, like when we have kids, we need to be very good at modeling, being bad at something the first time you do it and then being like, okay, I can try again. Right. Because I think that's the part where if we start to fear not being good at something the first time, then we're never going to do new things. Mm -hmm. And that's really dangerous. Like that's really not good for us. So I think that noticing that in young children and helping them celebrate like, oh, we made a mistake. Um, At the leadership summit, we did that activity with the woman who did improv. And every time, Hannah, every time we messed something up, we'd have to go, woohoo, and then just start again. (laughs) So it was a quick, simple, like, I acknowledge this mistake and I'm happy about it. And then we just start again. There was no long drawn out, oh gosh, you made a mistake and it's okay. And we love you anyway. It was just a simple, like, I can start again. Yeah. There was no shame associated with it. There was no like over-exaggeration of, of love or acceptance or whatever. It was just, we know we're going to make mistakes and that's good. And so we go, woohoo, uh, and we move on and then we try it again. Yeah, that's and an I important distinction to say not to go too far into it because two things I was thinking of when you were saying that was one, I think often with children, we really celebrate successes, which of course, I don't know how you couldn't celebrate yeah. success, but if you're really only focusing on the successes, then I guess you're showing, you're saying something about the failures, even if you're not talking about it. Even them, if you're not even. talking about it, because you're, you're not talking about it. Right. And for adults, we sometimes get into that place of shame where we are trying to hide our mistakes rather than saying like, hey, guess what happened at work today? I really put my foot in my mouth. And then you know how I fixed it? This is how I fixed it. Or like, oh, I I think I think I heard that it was Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell. They're married, right? Um, On their podcast, they were talking about when they have a fight, if they finish it behind closed doors they'll model that the next day for their children to say like they just kind of like role play out the the apology Hmm. and the the solution and I think what a great way to say like this is how you fix it Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't just like disappear into the the ethos like people don't get to see repair often Mm -hmm. and so how great will it be for my 
hopefully I'll have kids one day and like <laughs> I have a daughter and she watches me struggle with the lawnmower and then I do it. And then she's like, oh, I can do hard things too, right? right. So I think it's okay to not hide those things. Yeah, that's a good point too. You don't, you want to, you know, talk about it with children and just like a sort of base way. So not like, yeah. death, but also I'm frustrated because this is hard and I've never done it before. And I'm going to keep trying because I know I can do hard things, which right. is another great mantra, right? Grace mm-hmm. and space, baby. I can do hard things. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I imagine like a lot of the, you know, because like the parents and the kids, the provider and the kids are so closely connected. Like you said, like they can absorb our stress and anxiety mm-hmm. that it's harder for parents because, you know, the anxiety comes up when they think something bad might happen or they're afraid of, you know, if their kid's going off to kindergarten, like all, you know, your head's probably going of all the like scary things that could happen. And it sounds like it's so important to keep those feelings in check for yourself so that they don't then cross over to your child or the children in your care as they go off to do a new thing so that they don't yeah. start absorbing your same anxieties and then that kind of would cycle I guess right but there's that little distinction between like keep it in check and not be you know draped over your five-year-old weeping that I'm right. gonna miss you so much but <laughs> but not to yeah. necessarily feel like you have to hide it either yeah. to say like I'm a little nervous too and I'm gonna see you at this time and then we're gonna we're gonna have so much fun together or you can say like I'm feeling really sad today that's okay Uh, Mm -hmm. mommies are allowed to feel sad too and I'm Mm -hmm. going to miss you and Mm -hmm. you're going to miss me and that's okay Mm -hmm. right we get to (laughs) get to separate and then we're going to come back together Mm -hmm. and I feel this and you feel that and those are okay so like you normalize the first experience, but then you also normalize the feeling. And Rachel, you had said something around sort of like reality checking your expectations. Mm -hmm. So of course, you're not going to first day out building your dollhouses, create a three-story Victorian (laughs) with the the moss-covered brick (laughs) on the outside. Like, yeah, I wish, but the reality of the situation is that I'm new and I have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get a kit with like explanation mm-hmm. we were watching lego masters is a show that exists apparently yeah, i love that show. um it's so unbelievable what these it, people yeah. can do with lego <laughs> and i've never built with lego so me and andrew immediately got in the car went to target spent a hundred dollars on a lego mm-hmm. set and now i'm learning by reading the directions how to do that and all i want to do is just be skilled enough to like not need the instructions and just know how to put this thing together mm-hmm. but i don't and the reality of the situation is that my expectations are outpacing my skill. Mm-hmm. So I can say, yeah, one day I might build a Victorian dollhouse. Today I need the kit. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a place to start. And everybody needs a place to start. Mm-hmm. So you're also then helping to reality check either your own expectations or the child's expectation to say, you won't be perfect this first time. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more you will, the more skill you'll have. You might never be perfect. Your dollhouse might always look a little wonky. And that's great. A little tilted. Right? It's just, it's got a little bit of a foundational issue and that's great. People buy houses like that all the time. (laughs) Like it's safe enough for your doll. It's beautiful. And you had more fun doing it, right? Like in, in, I can hear like Raquel in my brain thinking about, about art specifically, the process over the product. Mm -hmm. Did you get to do something new? Did you get to use your hands? Did you get to be creative? Was it healing for you in a self-care way? Did you have fun? Yeah. Cool. But I think that's sort of like a, that's like a skill to learn too, right? Because we say to children a lot, I, I think we say, you know, as long as you have fun, as long as you have fun. But then as I do, you know, my little exploration here into hobbies it can be a little bit hard to have fun when you're not good. You yeah. know, like I hate not being you're good having that. fun, but you're like, oh, you know, that that doesn't look like what I want to do, or I can't quite do mm-hmm. this, or oh, I have to just do the the steps one and two, which I don't think anybody really enjoys step one and two, but I have to do them repeatedly until I can get to that really fun step three or whatever the case might be. So exactly. I think it does take a little bit of practice to enjoy first times. Like, like you said, there's some that are unavoidable. So I think we could like talk about those too, but then seeking them out is 
cool, but also mm-hmm. hard and scary and not always fun. No, I don't think it's always fun. And like, I don't like steps one and two ever (laughs) because I want to get to step five where I can be like, I'm so good at this. Look at, look at me. Um, But, and I typically will do steps one and two, like in secret, like I'll hide to do step one and two, one, two, one, two, over and over and over again. Maybe we hide it too much. Right. And then if we're not showing that to children, like for example, with my pottery class, you know, the first time that I brought up the sidewalls of my bowl, I was like, well, that didn't go very well. So I want, I had in my mind that I should just like put that to the side and try again and like not bring that one home. But I was like, but that is the first thing I ever created. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it does not look very good, but I, sh- but you can you put know. keys in it. Like, right. Yeah. And I and think it shows that I didn't do it perfectly the first time. And that's right. okay. And that you still tried. I think, you know, especially in 2022, we live in an Instagram kind of world where you see step seven or you see step 10 <laughs> and you don't see how long or hard it was for that person to get to that thing, right? Like I'm watching all these baking shows and all these little reels on Instagram of people just creating these amazing galettes. And I'm like, I burned a pie yesterday. Mm-hmm. I have made apple pie hundreds of times and I left it in the oven too long and the top burned and we ate it like I'm not (laughs) going to throw away a pie because it's not perfect but I also didn't put it on Instagram so I think we we don't have practice in celebrating steps one and two right and we don't have practice in being like that wasn't fun that was actually really really hard and I'm still going to go back next week and try again because if it's not fun and we're not good at it the first time, we tend to back off doing that thing mm-hmm. rather than, now I don't think you should force a child to or force yourself to stick with something that they really hate. Mm-hmm. Like my sister played soccer when she was younger and hated it. And, you know, it was new. So she had to try it a couple of times before my mom was like, okay, we can really be done with this. But she wasn't expected to play soccer from third grade to eighth grade because she committed to this. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, make your commitments and, and stick with them. But if you really hate it or you're really not growing from that experience, it's also okay to say that's something that I'm not going to be good at. And mm-hmm. that's something that I don't find any enjoyment in. Mm-hmm. So why force it? Um, but I think it's interesting at how we tend to like hide the hard parts and only celebrate the success. And I wonder what would have happened for me if more people around me when I was little went, woohoo, you messed up. Like, <laughs> woohoo, that didn't go anywhere near as according to plan. And mm-hmm. now we get to replan. Or, you know, instead of taking that bowl, setting it aside and getting a new lump of clay smash that bowl back down and see if you can redo it with the same. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an interesting, um, because nobody likes to look, I don't think anybody likes to, it's vulnerable. Nobody likes to look bad. Nobody likes to feel like they're not good at something, but if we're able to kind of give ourselves that space to, to be vulnerable and say, whew, this is really hard and I'm not great at it right now. And I might be great at it one day. So I'm going to try again. I can do hard things. I got this. Then it it helps us when we get to those unavoidable first times to say this might not go according to plan. And I can recover from that. Mm-hmm. This is hard. This is something that I've never done before, right? Step one, acknowledge the first time. This is it. I've never done this before, or I have done this before, but it's slightly different. And then acknowledge your feeling. I'm feeling anxious around it. I'm feeling really unsure of myself. And then when you do the thing, then you can start to reinforce like, okay, here are the things that went really well. Here are the things that didn't go so well. I'm going to be awkward because I'm new. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's that reality checking your expectation. I'm going to feel awkward. I'm going to probably look awkward in front of other people. Um, you know, somebody might take a picture of me looking really awkward. That's okay. You can ask them not to if if that's, if pictures don't need to be, if we don't need documentation of this. Um, but I'm going to look and feel awkward because I'm new. Mm-hmm. That's that reality check of the expectations and bringing some of that perspective, Hannah, like you, we had talked about not sleeping as a new mom. This won't last forever. 
right? So, you know, I'm not going to be brand new at pottery forever. I'm going to get better at it. I got better at turning on my weed whacker. I can now do it without calling for help. Um, <laughs> but not flawlessly every time, right? Sometimes I pull that stupid cord and nothing happens or it like sputters to life. And then it's like, ha no. Yeah. And then I get frustrated and I'm like, okay, do the steps again. I know the steps. And I feel a little frustrated because I know how to do this, but something's not working. So I'm going to try again. Um, so normalizing the experience, the feeling, reality set your expectation, and then bring some perspective. I'm not going to be new at this forever. I will get better. People grow. They make mistakes and they learn. And this is okay. This is mm -hmm. all part of life. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said about your sister in soccer. <laughs> so that soccer just wasn't yeah. for her. And it sounds like your parents knew like, okay, we're not going to push that but I imagine it could potentially be a fine line between like getting you know either your children or their children in your care to overcome their fear and anxiety of something new versus kind of stepping back and realizing like oh this just maybe is not a good thing fit. a good fit so kind of like I'm wondering how long I don't want to use the word typical but like typical how long a typical <laughs> like a transition lasts when a child is starting something new like how long that it's really common for that anxiety to be around before you get to the point where you need to kind of reevaluate evaluate what's going on if that makes sense yeah and I don't know because it's so different for everybody and everything mm -hmm. right so are they do they understand the rules of the game? <laughs> do they know how long they're going to be there? Like, do they have a friend on the team that they look forward to seeing? Like, do they like the color of the uniform that they have to wear? Is it itchy? Like there's so many factors for why the child might not want to go do the thing. Yeah. Um, but I think working through all of those steps together, you know your child best. Like there's not an expert in the world who will know your child better than you know your child. So helping them to normalize the situation, reality set their expectations for their own skill level, and then bringing some perspective. We're going to be there for about an hour and we're going to do this. I, when I feel anxious about anything new, I like to walk myself through the steps and it can be something really big, like joining a team and playing a sport I've never done before, but it can also be very, very small because I'm just an anxious person. Um, so for example, we went to a Valley Cats game with all of my friends. I've done it a million times, but they were sitting in a different spot. They always sit in this one section. And for whatever reason that day, they were sitting in a completely opposite section. And so I started to feel a little panicky about that because I didn't exactly know where it was. And then I'm like, I'm going to look stupid. Like I have no idea where I'm going and they're going to be watching me try to find them. And that will just, you know, be the worst thing in the entire world. So I was like, you're going to, these are the steps, you know, where to go. You can visualize the parking lot. You can visualize walking in. And my friend Maura, thank goodness for her. She took pictures of landmarks around, right? So she was like, oh, you know, where we normally sit, instead of going right, you're going to go left. And then we're sitting by whatever concession stand was there. So she took a picture of it and sent it to me so that I had like the visual. So visuals can be really, really helpful. You might kind of visual schedule out for the child what's going to happen. Like I needed that day just to walk into a ballpark I've been to before um, to say, okay, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to look for that thing. And then I'm going to look for my friends. And if they see me first, nothing bad will happen. Like they're, I'm just going to be a little confused and that's okay. Um, and using some of that self-talk was helpful for me. So helping your child, I think, to sort of visualize what's going to happen and where they're going to be, because I think that that alone is nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. Like think about when you started your first job or when you started working at Bright Side Up. It's like, well, where am I going to park? And what does the front door look like? And how do I get in? And what will my office look like? You have all of these things about what it's going to look like, um, even before we get to what's going to happen there. But then you can also use tools like a first then board, I think is very, very helpful in, in having children know what comes first. 
and then what's going to happen next. So like first, we're going to put on all of our gear and then you're going to go sit with your team and the coach. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if soccer has like a huddle, but like you might have like a little huddle. You might have like a little and you might relate it to something they already know. You're going to have a, a little huddle like morning meeting at school, right? That way that it's sort of taking something unfamiliar and linking it to something that is more familiar, even if it's not exactly the same, they'll sort of understand, okay, I'm going to stand in a group of friends and a teacher's going to talk to me. And then you're going to play the game. And when you're done with the game, I'm going to be sitting right here and we'll go home. I think helping a child sort of figure out what are they anxious about? What are they, what are they nervous about? Using maybe tools like the worry box to pack up some of those worries if they're not something we can really concretely do anything about. Um, What's the worry box? Ooh, ooh, the worry box is great. I believe, oh, you know what? Barbara was on the podcast talking about grief and I'm not sure mm -hmm. if she mentioned the worry box in that podcast, but we do have a tip card on it. So we can we can throw that in these show notes also. Yeah, but the I worry don't think box, she did because it feels new to me. It feels new, yeah. You both it, look, but I don't remember where, but I, I know about it, but please tell us. I was gonna say, you both <laughs> look like she didn't mention that. So yeah. the worry box, um, you can physically create a box or you can just use the visualization. Like I just have the visualization because I'm a 30 year old woman and I didn't need to create my own box, but it is very fun to create a box with the child. And it's, it's simply a place to store worries. So you can use a tissue box. You can use something fancy. You can get index cards. You can use post-it notes, however you want to help the child kind of document their worry. Sometimes they just whisper it right into the box. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a safe place to put things that we're worried about where we then get to do a visualization kind of, if you've ever done like a, like a guided meditation, you can visualize with your child putting a lid on this box and then putting that box somewhere very, very safe and then closing doors in front of it, right? So the worries are, are contained and they're safe on that shelf behind closed doors. Mm. Um, and so there's different ways to do it with different age groups. And I'll, I'll send you that um, tip card. I think it's on our website. So if it's not, we'll get it up there. Um, mm -hmm. But at least we can link it in the show notes because I think that's a helpful tool. Like we're feeling really worried about this and we can put our worries somewhere. Keely, our CFO, talked to me about it a little bit. She used it with her son of a little ring box and three pennies. So they would just have three because sometimes, you know, we'll, we have some children who will do the fun thing of like, I'll just keep making up worries because I'm enjoying the time that I'm spending with my parent. Mm -hmm. um, so like, okay, let's take our three worries. And he would whisper the worry to the penny and then put the penny in the box. Mm -hmm. And then he would whisper his next worry and put it in the box and whisper his third worry, put it in the box and then close the box. Mm -hmm. So it's a safe place to contain those things. And some children will need a little bit more support in their first time worries. And some children are gonna just like take up. My niece is the bravest little girl I've ever seen in my entire life. She just walks into a social situation and takes over. <laughs> and she's got the most introverted, nervous parents. Like they're, they're not sociable. So they're not necessarily nervous about like going places, but they're, they're people are not their favorite thing. <laughs> and their daughter, whew, she will just walk into a room full of people and start telling them all what to do. And she's like, let's go. We're going to do this. And if Elmo's around, Elmo's coming. And she's just, you know, brave. And she doesn't necessarily need that worry box, but she mm -hmm. might one day. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't necessarily get too worried about those first times, but she does all those first time things that her toddler does, right? She stays a little close to mom and she scopes it out. And then she'll get a little bit far away and then she'll turn around and make sure like, oh, you still there? You still with me? And then she'll explore and then she'll come back and she'll explore and then she'll come back. So she does all of those things that toddlers do when they're in there first time, um, which is almost everything at this point. She's only like 18 months old. So everything is new. And her mom, my sister, gets to sit and be new too, because now she's she just had her very first public tantrum. So Rachel, I'm sure you know what that's like, but Hannah... Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah ready because she was like well I was embarrassed and she was screaming and oh my gosh so I said well you both had your first public tantrum and <laughs> he was able to stay really calm and help Grace through it and then she 
was able to deal with all of that after, right? She was like, oh my God, I was embarrassed and people were looking at me. And then we got to, as her family say, you did it, mom. Like you, you did it. You did your first public tantrum and that's okay. And everybody in that room was a parent because it was one of those like mommy me music times. So I'm like, there, there was no judgment yeah, on you. You probably put it on yourself and I'm sure that you felt it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, everybody was looking at me. And I'm like, I know it felt that way. (laughs) And every other mom in that room was probably cheering you on silently in their head to be like, you got this, keep going. (laughs) Because they all know, they all know how it felt. But that was an interesting first time you got to do together. And we got to then cheer her on and do some of that um, reality checking for her because she was still kind of in the the emotion. So sometimes you also just need somebody else to help you as the adult say like, well, yeah, that was the first time you've ever had to deal with that. And you, I'm sure you did it really well. Mm-hmm. And we can do that for children. Yeah. So your six-year-old gets off the bus and, you know, they were embarrassed at school and you can, you can sort of help reality check that to say, yeah, it feels really hard right now and it'll get better. We don't want to necessarily negate that it's hard right now. We don't want to be like, oh, well, like nobody, when you're 30, you won't even remember this because that's not helpful right now, but because right now it's a big deal. And like, oh no, they didn't invite you to their birthday party. And that's really hard. We're going to sit with this emotion and I'm going to help you understand that you're, you're going to get through this and we can do that together. I feel like while listening, I think we have almost like a equation to sort of getting through these first times. So I thought maybe as we're kind of like getting towards the end here, maybe we could just go through like a first time and maybe you could give us some like tips of how to handle it so we could see how it might play out. So one that I was thinking of was a first time with swimming lessons. So How might you sort of work through that with a child? How old are we thinking the child is? Oh, let's say we can make them four. Perfect. Okay. Because I'm like, what are we doing with an infant? Because then we're focusing more <laughs> on the, the parent because, oh gosh, that's so scary, right? You're bringing your own, your baby mm-hmm. into water, which can be really scary just for the adult, <laughs> right? Um, so reality check your own expectations first and, and manage some of your own feelings. But then with the child, you can say, oh my gosh, are you so excited for swim? This is your first time going swimming. Do you feel a little nervous? And they might say, yeah, I'm nervous. Or you might see it all over their face, right? Yeah. You might say, oh, you look really scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay. This is your first time going swimming. We're going to keep you safe. Right. And that's a good limit to, to sort of set with them that you feel really scared. It's okay to feel scared. This is the first time you've ever done this. I'm here to keep you safe. The instructor is here to keep you safe. All of the adults are here to keep you safe. It doesn't feel good right now, but it doesn't last forever. You're going to have some fun today. And that's that little piece around um, we normalizing, we're normalizing the experience. It's new. We're normalizing the feeling, you're nervous. And then we're giving ourselves some of that perspective. You're nervous right now. And then you're gonna have so much fun. Mm. We're giving that uh, perspective that the scariness of a first time won't always last forever. Um, And then you can start to give some of the reality check of the expectations where they might be like flopping around in the water and you might have to hold them up and say, I'm just gonna hold you for a little while you're not quite ready to, to, for me to let go yet. That's okay. I'll hold you for a little while and then I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. Then you can do it. So then we're helping them to reality check the expectation that they're not going to be Michael Phelps once <laughs> they get in the water. Um, but they might really, especially if we've got some of that like toddler, I can do it initiative of like everything I could do on my own. Four-year-olds, feel really confident in their ability to move around and then they get into the water and it's like this is a different way to move so if they feel confident on land they might be really frustrated with the fact that they need help in the water Mm -hmm. and so you can reality check that expectation to say like you're so fast when you're on land we have to go a little slower in the water until you get uh, like strong enough to hold your head above water or until we can um, keep ourselves afloat, something mm-hmm. like that. And then say, you know, keep asking questions. We're here to help you. You can do this. And then giving them the chance to practice. Um, 
And then just, I think when, when it's over, the kind of recap, right? So like we get out of the water and we're dry and we're, our water wings are off and we don't have the little vest and it, we're probably outside of the pool where it's loud and echoey now to say, hey man, like you did it. You went swimming for the first time and you did a great job. How do you feel now? And then you might say, like, great, we get to go to McDonald's now or whatever, wherever you're going to celebrate. Um, you go home and you top up some Brussels sprouts because it feels good to now calm your own nerves of being in the water with your four-year-old for the first time. But that that little recap of you were so nervous and then you did it and you did such a good job and you had so much fun. And if they didn't, then you can say, oh, that was hard work. And are you still a little nervous? Yeah, that was that was a tricky day for us. We're going to try again next week and I'm going to help you next week too. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it goes really, really well. And we're like, yeah, you did it. You were so nervous and now you're so brave. And sometimes they're still nervous. Yeah. So you can say you're still nervous and that's okay. This is a hard task. Mm -hmm. We'll do it again next week. And I'm going to help you. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So that perfectly oh, illustrates yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Be very prepared for when Marlo is four. <laughs> yeah, right? No. I've got, I've got friends who are doing swim lessons with infants, and I'm like, ah, keep that baby in the water. I'm like, are you okay? Are you there? And they're like, yeah, we're fine. We're seasoned pros. They're, they're, they're very practiced with their first times. And I'm watching infants float, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, you can start pretty young. But um, Kim, thank you so much. This was yes, thank really you. wonderful. I think really timely for September is like, there's usually a lot of new things happening this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any resources that jump out at you that you want to share if people want to learn more about this? Or you offer any trainings that are kind of specific to Ooh. anxiety or new things? I don't think we offer training just yet, but I'm wondering about some of the ones Emily is writing they might they might touch on some of the topics a little bit. I know mm-hmm. the article is coming out in home and classroom. Um, you know, if you're interested in the pieces around like the shame spirals we fall into, um, the difference between shame and guilt. So that's a, a lot of the work that I've pulled from Brene Brown's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a lot of good like first times and like the emotional upheaval that can happen then. Um, but I think because everything is so specific and individualized, it's going to be your own, finding your own, the steps are solid, right? We normalize and then we reality check expectations and we're able to um, to kind of celebrate the the parts that didn't go so well. But I think you have to find your what feels good for you. Like I have that little mantra, like I'm just gonna do it. We're gonna grace and space, grace and space, grace and space. And I, like you'll hear me say it in the office. That, like I'm, I've trained for six years and I still get nervous before every training. And every training's a little different because every audience is a little different. So grace and space. I'm human. They know that. They're human. I know that. We're just people being people in a room together. Um, but I can do hard things. I think is a really solid mantra to help you or children to learn that you can do hard things. And I'm proud of you when you do, and you should feel proud when you do. Um, finding those little mantras and self, self-talk self is a powerful, powerful tool. If your self-talk is negative, you'll feel it. But when your self-talk is positive, you'll feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you're if you want more on that, we can definitely right. I could probably write a tip card for that. Um, we'll link to the worry box for sure. And if I, if I think of anything else, I'll send it your way to post up on the show notes. Great. Sounds great. I will just say one thing that this episode reminded me of is that back at the beginning of 2020, I made a goal to do one new thing a week. That was like my big thing I was going to do for a year. And I believe I made it to like March 14th or whatever the middle of a crisis but it was like really little it was you know they could be like running a different route you know like oh sweet like reading a different genre of a book or something brushing your teeth with the other hand yeah very (laughs) small it didn't have to be like 
a giant thing, like learning to do pottery. Speak another language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just wanted to say that I think this episode has re-energized that and I want to pick that that back up again. Oh, if anybody else wants to do that, let us know. I would totally do a first times challenge on Facebook with all of our providers. So if we, if we really wanted to do this, I, I don't love I don't love competition because I don't like to lose because I have some some issues around losing <laughs> in public. No but I do love accountability. Yes. So having some accountability buddies out in the field to practice new things and then talk about the feelings that come up. Happy to happy to lead that if anybody's interested in doing it. All but right, Hannah, let you know. let me know how it's going because I'm excited. Yeah, I'll report back next podcast and you can check up on Excellent. me and see what I'm doing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. All Missed right, you. thanks, Kim. That's what's happening this week. Find our show notes on our website at brightsideup.org. Click on Home and Classroom. Also look for our Instagram page at Home and Classroom on Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening. By doing so, you're helping to create a world where all children are understood. And then I got Brussels sprouts.